Welcome to NFT Sundays, a weekly conversation around art and technology, brought to you by Dementi and the Museum of Crypto Art. All right, everybody, welcome to our latest episode of NFT Sundays. My name is Colborn Bell, the Museum of Crypto Art, and I'm joined today uh, by legendary guest Matt Dryhurst. Matt, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Uh, we'll start this one as we do all of these shows and just ask you to share a bit about yourself. Let everybody uh, know who you are and, and how you came to be in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm Matt. Uh, I spend most of my time working on artworks. Um, I run an art studio with my wife and creative partner, Holly Herndon, here in Berlin. Um, and outside of that, I'm starting a company right now. I'm involved in, you know, I've been involved in the Web3 crypto space for seven or so years, something like that. Um, and so, yeah, so I spend the rest of my time contributing to projects um, and also publishing our research through the Interdependence podcast. So not a busy guy at all. I'm I'm really busy. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I have I have I have no personality outside of uh, things I contribute to, which is a problem. But it's it's how I am. <laughs> right. So tell us more, please, about um, the Interdependence podcast. You know, I've I've heard from multiple people and and listened to it myself avidly. Uh, this is really really good stuff that you're doing. So I'd love for you to share more information on that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, for Holly and I, um, we have maybe an atypical art practice in so much as it's heavily research focused. So, for example, we will take a couple of years to research a topic, develop some tools, right? Like the last record we released in 2019, we developed like a whole custom singing neural network system for the, the record. And then we'll take that on tour. Um, and so, you know, <clears throat> when you see the artwork, it's kind of like that's one piece of the puzzle. But then if you want to go down the rabbit hole, there's a lot there. And so over the pandemic, we were like, we've been thinking about it for some time. We're like, it'd be really cool to, you know, in that research process, we encounter so many people and so many interesting ideas. These are people we would be speaking to anyway. So it's kind of fun to record that and share that with people, right? Because if you are interested, whether it's our practice or you're just interested in these topics generally, um, those conversations may have value, right? And so the way we frame it is we're optimistic about the 21st century, um, which is not necessarily, um, yeah, it's, it seems almost like wrong to say that or something. <laughs> um, <clears throat> But, but generally speaking, like beyond beyond like it being like a critical podcast in the sense where we do tackle kind of high level topics, um, uh, ultimately we're interested in speaking to people who are building stuff, um, who are doing things about maybe issues that they care about. Um, and for us, it's like a great source of inspiration too. Um, because yeah, we get to talk to lots of amazing people who are trying to, yeah, trying to build stuff. That's, that's kind of, that, that's really the focus. And I'd say in a, in a space that is so flooded with uh, perhaps like intentional misinformation, uh, <laughs> a lot of hype, you, you maintain an incredible objective neutrality. Um, Thank you. And uh, I, I would imagine this comes from, you know, a heavily researched practice and, and fact-based approach. Uh, and it's just so, so necessary. 
Totally. Well, well, the thing is, ultimately, a lot of it comes down to credibility, right? Like, I mean, I will say we definitely have some skin in the game, right? When we're talking about some of these topics, whether it be crypto or AI stuff, quite clearly, we're very interested in them, right? So it's not like we're coming at it from an outside perspective. Um, and oftentimes we'll have guests on who are friends or collaborators. But, but, but ultimately, as you'll know, right, like fundamentally our main... Um, our main kind of existence in the world is as artists, right? Like we live or die by our reputations. Um, I have every intention of pursuing legitimate critiques of crypto, um, but I want good information. And I think that's the thing that that frustrates me and that's kind of the middle ground that needs to come to. Um, so I'll give a great example, right? Like we had, a, I think, a really successful episode with Carl McDonald, the artist and researcher, who is a crypto skeptic. Um, about his research on Ethereum energy numbers, right? And it turned into a rather heated debate. But by the end of it, I was so happy to talk to him because he did as much work as anybody to get to the bottom of it, right? And then once you actually have those numbers, then you can make personal decisions about how you feel about it. Um, And so that's the role I really see us playing in some ways is I want to give people good information to come to their own conclusions about things. Um, And ultimately that, you know... uh, we need to find the best information because I don't want to be perceived. I mean, when you deal with any of these kind of bleeding edge technical topics, for better or worse, the immediate perception is that you're somehow trying to pull the wool over people's eyes, right? That's the burden that all of us live under. Um, and so it's kind of behooves us and it's, it's in our interests actually to try and, to try and seek out good information and, and, uh, uh, different perspectives. There are some things I won't entertain. Um, <laughs> uh, but, Go on, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> no we'll just like you know it's, it's become kind of it's become kind of fashionable i think to to really straw man uh certain topics yeah. um and i've definitely we've received some criticism from some corners that we aren't entertaining some of those people um but that's kind of where i draw a line is i don't really want to participate in sensationalist kind of online politics or just talk to people because they get a lot of retweets for saying silly things you yeah. know um, it's really about finding that middle ground of people who are you know, legitimately critical or legitimately supportive of something, but I believe we, I, I believe we can trust them. That, and that's kind of where I'm at. I'd say, you know, one of the great things about the crypto community is, of course, this uh, free thinking ability and open mindedness to approach different topics from various angles. Um, I read a great tweet, I, I don't remember who, from somebody yesterday saying a lot of this cognitive dissonance, dissonance is born. Uh, of these echo chambers in which we participate and kind of how the algorithm feeds us the information that we want to see. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, you know, how the, the algorithm is conditioning us to be the people that we were yesterday instead yep. of the people that we collectively can be. Um, so going back to kind of the optimistic approach, uh, can you expound on, you know, the values that you first found interesting in crypto? and then how that relates to the building of Web3 communities? Totally. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, it, you don't want to be too binary about these things, but I think you know there are echo chambers. The way in which we receive information and we're incentivized to publish information is you know like the most extreme uh, arguments or the most extreme feelings or sentiments seem to travel further. I actually published a piece today, and there was a... I was tired and there was one sentence where I was like, I'm just going to say something shitty here. And clearly like 
it works, right? Um, and so you're constantly having to battle with yourself. I have to constantly kind of uh, uh, battle with myself to not take that kind of severe approach, even though we're all susceptible to doing it sometimes. Um, and really it comes down to exactly, it's a glass half full, glass half empty thing, right? Like I don't believe that I have all the answers. Um, I'm not zealous necessarily, um, but at the same time, I'm also pretty, uh, I'm pretty confident that if you actually want to uh, make a material difference to uh, to the field that you participate in, or people the or for people that you care about, it doesn't really do that much to to be permanently negative. You know that that you can on places like Twitter or whatever gather large audiences doing that, but yeah. but but functionally, you know. So so anyway, uh, yeah. For me, I mean, I came into crypto um, initially, let's say from like 2013 or something. I got particularly interested in writing and researching, let's say, critiques of, of the platform economy. Um, I think I was quite early to that, to be honest. Um, I don't think there were too many people leveling critiques at Spotify, for example, before I was doing that. This was in my promo-negative days, um, so I speak with some experience. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, from there, you know, got particularly interested at the time. There was, you know, a movement in San Francisco uh, called the Indie Web. There were uh, things, uh, there's a field called the Fediverse, this idea of saying, well, what would it mean to decentralize um, uh, these tools? So rather than having like one central mandate determining how your music is distributed or whatever, what would it mean to decentralize those things? And so I got very interested in those ideas um, and worked on in from like 2014, uh, released in 2015, um, a decentralized publishing framework called Saga, um, and one of the things about Saga, long story short, basically, the idea was it was a, a self-hosted piece of software that you would host on your server. Um, it would let you distribute work, so artworks in this embed um, across the web. And then what would happen is you would have discrete control of every version of that piece of art online. Mm. So unlike posting it to YouTube, which is a centralized service where you can take it down for everybody or you can keep it up for everybody, um, with Saga, the idea was if Nike posted my artwork in this location, I could take it down there or I could, right? Yeah. And so what I was working with at the time was being like, wouldn't it be cool if under that system where you could alter the work in real time for different people in different contexts? I mean, I, at the time I called website-specific performance. Mm. What if you could write rules um, that, uh, that determined how your artwork would react in those circumstances. And so that was kind of like the big idea, like what would rules be in, 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 uh, in a system like that? And so in a, it, it ended up getting published. Um, it got some press or whatever. And then I got some people write me. This was in, yeah, I'd say like early summer 2015, something like that, and be like, well, have you heard of Ethereum? Mm. Because what you're describing with uh, attributing a rule set to distributing media sounds a lot like a smart contract. And I didn't know what a smart contract was. Um, so from there, yeah, I got, I kind of fell down the rabbit hole at the time. This was pre-launch Ethereum, uh, you know, read the white paper, was like, okay, look, like some of the embers I was playing with, there's some people over here who seem to, to be quite honest, be way more technically competent than I am. Um, they see some promise in this. Um, and so, yeah, so, so from there, just, you know, I can't, I can't stress enough, uh, you perhaps know, but many people don't, you know, that going back to around about that period of time, on number one, on the optimistic side, this was very much a, a group of 
pretty optimistic nerds, right? Distinct from the Bitcoin community and the associations with that, even though I, I don't mind the Bitcoin community. But, but, but the Ethereum community generally, you know, it was like nerds tinkering on things and coming up with really big ideas, incredibly idealistic. And so I found that very intoxicating. Um, and yeah, over the years, honestly, was kind of kept involved largely down to many of the characters involved. Because, you know, as, as you'll know from art and music, I mean, my personal opinion was that this was the most exciting game in town because the the rate of new ideas I was encountering from people working on systems, albeit with with Ethereum or or maybe other systems that came later, it was just so stimulating. I was like, wow, like finally there's there's this whole group of people who are tinkering and, and, and in some cases, you know, having really, really big ideas about what the future of media could be, how media could be fairer, uh, how you know people could be uh, people could be compensated uh, better, you know. Um, so yeah, so I fell down this rabbit hole, and of course, um, you know, fast forward to let's say 2019, 2020, all of a sudden the rest of the world started really caring about it, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it's a bit strange in a sense too to to also kind of inherit the perspectives, um, or or kind of or inherit a. a uh, uh, you know, an association in a way with a lot of the work that has come from in the past couple of years, right? And and so, uh, I, even there, I find I, I can see clear divisions where it's like there's corners of crypto I'm super fascinated by, and and I still consider a big part of my community, and then there's corners that are totally alien to me. You know, like um, even though I might find some some parts of it interesting, uh, yeah. So so that's kind of. Uh, uh, that, that's kind of where I f where I fall on it is that ultimately, you know, crypto isn't any one thing, Ethereum isn't any one thing. Uh, one of the benefits of a permissionless network and pitfalls of a permissionless network is there's no one to tell someone you don't like uh, to not do something. Um, right. And and so yeah, so I definitely fall on the kind of wide-eyed, uh, optimistic uh, uh, side side of that spectrum. I I completely concur. I think it brings out um, the best and the worst of of human nature in its extremes. Um, and it is emotionally incredible roller coaster, given its 24/7 nature, given its its global access, uh, its immutability and uh, uncensorability. Um, maybe we can speak more. I'm I'm curious on on two parts. You know, kind of what is your perhaps like utopian vision of the technology, and where have NFTs shown incredible promise to you? Uh, mm -hmm. And where have we begun to identify kind of pitfalls in what we've created? Awesome. Yeah. I, well, for me, I think the main principle and one of my kind of like foundational principles why I was critical, for example, of a Spotify way back when is that fundamentally, I, I wouldn't characterize it as utopian, but I would say fundamentally it's kind of my belief system that no one vision ought to determine the opportunities available to artists, right? So, like, I was just in Singapore uh, playing a show and met a bunch of artists there. I may have ideas about tools that could be made or be purposed in that context, but I don't think it's on me, and I don't think any idea I can have is going to be a perfect fit, right? A perfect fit for their context in Singapore or place X, right? And so, in a sense, my my hope for uh, crypto and these kind of decentralized networks is, in a sense, kind of an anti-utopian uh, principle, which is 
I want tools to be made available for everybody rather than kind of like a one size fits all system to be able to tailor a suit that fits their context. Right. And so it, in a way, it's a very optimistic vision, um, but it's not one single vision. And I think that, that that's what gives me spirit is that, you know, if, if I look at uh, going backwards to like, you know, the early 2010s and seeing the available options where it's like, look, like you got the SoundCloud account or a Tumblr or you're on Spotify or whatever. It was like very, very limited. And now looking at the new infrastructure that's being built partly, largely uh, by people in crypto, I'm like, there are, you know, now it's like there's 20 options. Because when we say NFT, what does that really mean, right? NFT is a file type. Yeah. There are NFTs that exist in uh, collector collector contexts, right? One of ones. There are NFTs that exist in these kind of gamed-like contexts. There are NFTs that exist as me in a membership context, right? So we're... I could probably identify 20 to 30 different ways that people are experimenting with making a living with this file type. And fundamentally, um, what I think is really cool about it is that there's no universal decree outside of using the file type as to how you value your art, right? right. And, and so giving that program, programmability to artists or communities or whatever, for me, that's a very optimistic. Um, that's very optimistic. Now on the pitfalls, I think being optimistic about it i think that the uh we've been become so used to in a web 2 context or let's say in a in an earlier industrial context right like you release a record this is how it comes out okay. into thinking that everybody fits a standard in in how they ought to approach things that i think some of that thinking has bled over into the way people are initially encountering crypto and web 3 and i'll be honest a lot of boosters in web 3 don't help with this yeah. Because when most people hear an NFT, they think of a board ape, right? Yeah. Now, I think board apes are quite interesting, or the PFP is quite interesting as a form. But when most people think about it now, they think of a very specific kind of digital collectible that is scarce in a 10,000 collection or whatever that, you know, that can be pumped and dumped. And I find these, these, uh, these applications of it interesting, but I do think that that is a danger in a way that when the narrative goes from what I recall it being years ago of saying, wow, this is, we're decentralizing, right? We are exploding the potential of this internet and we're going to add all these primitives that let people, you know, construct their own universe. When that collapses into, oh no, like an NFT is a digital collectible that you can have on your Instagram account or your Spotify account and you know, big whoop, right? Like when it gets collapsed, it's not that I find that disinteresting yeah. necessarily, but it's a very collapsed vision. And so you can almost get to the point whereby a lot of kind of like people who are arguing against NFTs, I almost end up agreeing with them because I'm like, in your perception of what an NFT is and what the utility of these things is, I kind of agree that it's limited. So in some ways, you know, in, in compressing or like condensing it down, uh, to meet demand for like, you know, a simple description of what Web3 means or what crypto means, you can also kind of turn people off being interested in it. Um, and so I think that's a real, that's a real danger, right? That, that, and that's kind of like a challenge that putting my optimistic hat on, I think over time people respond to art and over time people respond to dynamism and over time, people will find all the interesting corners of things that are happening in crypto. Mm. And that's why that's where I want to be. And, but I think, 
you know, it just takes a while. It takes a while. There's a lot to unpack there. Let me see if I can synthesize <laughs> uh, something uh, from it. Um, I think crypto is inherently born of a, a CCO and kind of remix movement. There is certainly mm -hmm. copy paste culture within it throughout, right? Dogecoin, yep, Litecoin totally. being forks of Bitcoin, uh, Tron totally. being an 80% copy pasted white paper of Ethereum. Uh, and nowadays <laughs> we're talking about, you know, multi-billion dollar protocols uh, that serve effectively what means, you know, the promise of value transfer on the internet, but, but really kind of mimetic and, and pump and dump. Um, and I think, you know, what NFTs did uh, mirrored a lot of what happened in 2017, 18 with the ICO boom, except we were able yep. to attach, right, this, this visual language to it. And in, in the society mm -hmm. that we're moving towards, global society, it's those visuals, it's those symbols that really attract attention. Um, mm -hmm. I think, likewise, Board Ape Yacht Club is fascinating for uh, what they were able to, to socially engineer. Um, totally. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nuts. Honestly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's wildly impressive. We've seen things, um, pop out of nothing that have received tremendous support. I, you know, I think to back to constitution DAO, um, you know, and I think recently to this, this thing, you know, for the culture, uh, where people were paid 0.01 ETH to, to mint it. Um, mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of followers overnight. It extends into DeFi, right? Where everybody is yield chasing the new protocol. It becomes mm -hmm. a bit of this, this shell game, um, very pyramid in nature, but the rapid iteration is incredibly impressive. Uh, the, the pace of innovation, the rise and fall, the, the free movement of capital uh, and extending this into metaverse environments, digital environments, um, what I call, you know, global digital villages. Uh, this was always kind of the, the promise of the internet. To me, it is all mm -hmm. incredibly exciting. And when I have conversations like this, I'm always just reinvigorated as to the possibilities of, of what can be. Um, so I don't really have <laughs> a, a question, but I imagine we feel similarly. Yeah, no, I, I I agree, and I'm I'm kind of the same, and I think, and that's it. I mean, given given what you've just said, you know, again, to, to newcomers to the space, there's almost nothing you can point out that I'll get squeamish over, mm. because of the ICO boom, right? Because of <laughs> those years, I'm like, oh yeah, scams. I'm like, that's not a scam. Like, I'll show you a scam, right? There's like, you know, so, so once you've kind of got over that part, I agree. And then, but in aggregate, uh, absolutely. That's the thing is like in aggregate, there are all these kind of strange kinks, like strange new things that come out of this kind of rapid breakneck, breakneck pace of kind of speculation and accumulation. And, and you're like, yeah, it's a, a it, I was trying to talk, I was talking to someone the other day on the podcast actually about this. And I'm like, I can't think of quite a term for it, but it's like, it's almost like, in a sense, there's, there's been a new entertainment medium born of this, mm. where it's kind of like the medium of participation in this in this kind of like 24-hour swarm online. I can't think of an analog to it. Fandom mm. gets a little bit close, but it's kind of like birthing, you know, birthing these odd... Uh, uh, moments online where in some ways it's kind of like yeah of course there's money involved and there's scams involved and there's people losing losing money and and 
gambling and whatever, but like somewhere in there, there's something new where I'm like, this is a participatory performance. <laughs> it's like, yeah. um, and it's not going away. Um, and so I think, I think, yeah, it's like, and, and after all of these crazy phrases, I, I, you're totally correct. I think, you know, there was the ICO boom. Let's just call it right. Like the first utility of these ledgers and tokens was speculation in markets, right? Right. So it made sense that the first crazy spike would be a fever around speculation, i.e. the ICO boom, right? And then that disappeared. Some of those organizations meant what they were talking, they went, what they said, and then some didn't. And I recall all of the ones that didn't. Yeah. And, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. I hope that that reputation sticks with them. Um, but then the next question is around, you know, the NFT. That was the next available kind of, uh, uh, you know, spark of being like, well, to be honest, my opinion, I mean, NFTs, colored coins, this idea has been around for a while, but like the ability to all of a sudden, um, you know, tie that, tie this non-fungible token to uh, uh, an image on a database or an image on chain and be able to uh, be able to distribute these things, speculate on them, whatever, was like the next available thing that you could do with some sophistication. Yeah. And so it makes kind of sense that that would be a crazy boom. And we'll see... You know, from that, we'll see some things stick around. Some of these concepts are not going away and a lot of stuff just completely disappear, but that's normal. You know, that, um, but the, but the rapid iteration of these cycles, I agree. It's like, it, it's like, it, it's a, a, it is invigorating. And it's also telling to me that, you know, ultimately the things that endure kind of warranted, you know, it really is a, a, a there's a kind of survival of the fittest conceptually in some ways where it's like, uh, uh, you know, yeah. It's it's uh, like Darwin capitalism at its finest. Oh, yeah, I, it's brutal. It's yeah, brutal. it's really brutal. Um, but I think I think what you're describing and I've noticed is how these circles of adoption occur, and it starts generally with a a group of idealistic, highly motivated, frankly, like nerds and intellectuals, and um, dreaming of of possibilities of what could be in designing systems that have vast untapped potential and and letting a user base find that potential. Of course, you know, because we're creating new value, we're creating money, the first circle of adopters is going to be capital. Um, totally. So, yeah. you know, in my mind, what I was thinking in 2017 is that there has to be an even distribution of genius in the world, right? Mm -hmm. There has to be people locally on the ground solving problems that fit their community uh, mm -hmm. and broader communities at large. And these should be rewarded outside of a kind of Silicon Valley focused VC type mm -hmm. of model. Uh, mm -hmm. Then to invite in, you know, more creative thinkers, more artists, telling people that what they're doing is art and valuing creativity and culture of this movement is the next natural pairing of that. I mm -hmm. think putting, uh, you know, the tools of crypto in the hands of artists is important because quite frankly, they are used to um, more volatility in, in their lives. They're used yep. to coming up with creative solutions to problems that they face every day and they're not so ingrained in a sense of uh, stability. So mm -hmm. I kind of want to use this opportunity to segue into some of the work that you're doing uh, with Context. Yeah, and- Well, so Context, uh, Context is an organization that that I, they're very close friends, but I don't actually work with them. Okay, and Channel then? Yeah, so Channel, um, 
channels an idea. It's kind of one of these things, like a lot of the projects that we're working on at the moment are ideas that have been around for a while that we've wanted to work on, but it was only really the past couple of years, again, in the kind of, you know, in the shade of all the NFT craze, um, all of a sudden a bunch of infrastructure was released that allowed things to, to happen. And so Channel is a, a project that we put together with a, a group of collaborators. So um, Holly and I with the Interdependence podcast, um, Joshua Siderella, who does Do Not Research in New York, um, New Models, who do an amazing podcast um, and run a community here in Berlin, um, and a, a bunch, basically a bunch of friends. Um, we were like, okay, what would it look like to um, build build some kind of a support infrastructure for a different kind of um, a different kind of media organization? Um, where, for example, the one one of the things we've identified is like that not dissimilar to what I was describing earlier about this kind of vast online performance. One of the things that seems native to Web three is this idea of kind of like bottom up generative communities versus kind of like top down media, where you know like your Patreons and your Substack, it's like um, you know you have someone often who's like defected from the New York Times, uh, often who's deciding to write write about like the culture wars is pretty much always the case um uh defects from the new york times starts a newsletter and then you know people comment right and it's like okay that's a that's a forum um a different forum which you know josh new models uh we've also explored is this idea of saying well we're actually kind of incubating a group of people who are all interested in a particular topic and are all creating things um so for example like uh, josh's do not research they just had a a large exhibition where I think it was like 60 pieces of artwork that all came from the discord were exhibited in this, in this exhibition, new models last year published a book with like 50 discord contributors. It's this amazing book called the, the new models codex. Mm. Um, Holly and I with Holly plus, which I'll also talk about um, just released, you know, 70, um, uh, 70 uh, releases made by the Holly plus community using her voice. Mm. Um, and so it's like, whatever that is, uh, Julian from New Models calls it a, a generative adversarial media network, but like whatever the whatever that is, uh, channel is basically uh, uh, designed to to try and build tools for that, mm. um, as opposed to let's say a, a Patreon or a Substack. Um, so that's great. I mean, I, I, you know, I contribute in so much as um, I advise with channel, and obviously the podcast is a, is a big part of it as a founding member. Um, but yeah, but that organization is is growing, um, and I believe we'll soon have a space in New York. Um, Congratulations! Yeah, I think yeah. it's great. Um, but but really, with this intention of kind of incubating bottom up uh, networks, which I think is a coordination tool, a coordination task that feels very relevant to uh, uh, to the kind of things that we're seeing in crypto exclusively. I'd I'd be remiss not to shoot uh, shout out the Loot Project, right? Hell yeah! And this. Uh, <laughs> And this creation from Metafactory that's that's on my head. Uh, that was in, incredibly innovative and just to give and really it also questioned kind of like the, the form of the substance, you know, to uh, mm -hmm. have something that was so open and ambiguous and then really just turn it over to the community to kind of come together and, and create whatever it is. And I think that exactly. open endedness, uh, that invitation to participate is incredibly compelling. Uh, in many ways, I feel overwhelmed by the amount of communities that I'm in and trying to participate in all and, and lend a voice. 
but I think, again, over time, this idea of kind of survival of the fittest and, and really figuring out where uh, your voice can contribute best is, is interesting. So I'd love, yeah, go ahead. No, I agree. I mean, that's, you know, this is where my bias shows. I think that idea, I think that idea is the one that will win. Yeah. Um, because I think ultimately it's like, it's like anything. It's like the CCO uh, philosophy, this idea of permissive IP. A friend of mine, JMO, calls it that. Um, you know, this is very much the approach we're taking with Holly Plus. I think it wins because it ultimately, arbit like, there's no, it makes no sense to arbitrarily limit the amount of stuff that people can do with ideas that you come up with, right. and particularly if you can put mechanisms in place to attribute or remunerate uh, where appropriate, that is a that is such a powerful idea. And you know, and it's one of the ideas where unambiguously, I think that that's an idea that that is really worth putting a lot of belief into. I've no doubt that in 10, 15 years, that <laughs> we'll look back and some of it will seem naive. But 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 to me, it just feels like a fundamentally good idea. Um, you know, and and. And, and with with Holly, I mean that's the, the the most recent project that's actually kind of taking up the majority of my time right now. Um, it, we started a project called Holly Plus, um, uh, which is basically in in many ways applying a lot of these kind of CC zero permissive uh, principles uh, to the field of machine learning. Mm -hmm. um, so for years we've been uh, uh, kind of talking about. Uh, Issues with remuneration, uh, issues with confusion, let's say, around, uh, you know, quote unquote, deep fakes. Uh, and so Holly, through her, her uh, doctoral research and, and some of the work we've been doing, um, came, with, came up with a different approach. And, and so the basic idea is being like, no, like, what would it mean if rather than trying to foreclose the opportunity for people to work with your digital likeness, let's say your voice or your face, uh, you instead ran toward it? Mm. Um, and saw and saw it as an opportunity to um, to instead kind of encourage people to be creative, uh, and so in in those circumstances, you know, we characterize IP uh, as identity play, right? Mm. Um, so rather than seeing it as something that you restrict people from using, you actually encourage. Um, and so what we've been doing over the past year or two um, is basically creating instruments that allow for anybody to create work with Holly mm. as Holly. Um, and, and yeah, and, and, and see it very, very much in line with, with this kind of loot nans, uh, spirit of, uh, of, you know, like not wanting to arbitrarily cap, uh, 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 what people can do with stuff. Um, and, and I'm completely with you for me that, you know, that as well as, you know, projects like song camp, which are, they're minting today, uh, we recently had uh, the Fringe, which is a sci-fi franchise that's that's being built using some of these tools and principles on the podcast. That for me is exactly where it's at. Like it, in ten years' time, I think when you look back, that will be the explosion. This is kind of like it's like open source mutated all these all these earlier principles that were good ideas but were a little naive and fell a little short. All those ideas mutated into something way more uh, generative and ultimately perhaps maybe more fair. Um, um, so yeah, so, so we're we're totally in agreement, and I'm jealous of your hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like this one a lot. Um, I'll say it's it's uh, frankly, I think it's probably a terrifying notion for many. I think most people in this space race toward privacy. 
Um, mm -hmm. I remember, you know, when I was starting my collector's journey, you, you know, uh, privacy was the default. There are very, very few public facing collectors of this. So to take mm -hmm. it to the extreme, to turn over uh, your physical identity, which is really like the one thing that you can control uh, to the world is, I'm, I'm curious perhaps maybe of any insight you could share in that journey of kind of like giving up that control. Mm -hmm. And if there is, um, I imagine there is a like reflexive conversation with the identity that people are creating on your behalf and you as a person. Totally. You're totally right. I mean, uh, two, two points there, I will say. I mean, I, I'm definitely speaking for Holly here, but we, we've had this conversation a lot. Like, first off, you know, when you are somewhat of a public figure, I mean, I'm like a public facing figure, but I'm not a public figure, right? Like, right. my wife is a little bit, right? Like, uh, if you if you query the OpenAI clip uh, data set, it knows who Holly is, right? Yeah. So you cross over into a dimension where a lot of people feel like they know you without knowing you, these kind of parasocial relationships, right? Like, so to some extent, when you make that call to exist in the public sphere, you are already in some ways, people are already being creative with you, <laughs> yeah. um, maybe just not explicitly. And so I think that in some senses, um, you know, in some senses, it's not actually as jarring as it might initially appear. However, using tools like cryptographic uh, identities, like public cryptographic identities, one of the cool things um, that we put forward with Holly Plus is obviously, you know, so long story short, basically there's a Holly Plus DAO, uh, token holders, um, are, are, they receive uh, uh, suggestions of works made as Holly, um, and they get to approve or deny them. And so the idea is that because they hold a stake in the identity, uh, they don't want to approve anything that is inappropriate, right? And so as a result of that, mm. um, if if now Holly's like made her identity open and usable for anybody permissively, if there's something out there that's heinous, um, you would look and say, okay, well, has this been approved by the DAO or not? If not, don't take it seriously. This clearly this clearly is something that that isn't coming from this hive mind that stewards and governs this identity. Um, in my mind, that solves the deepfake problem. I'm making it sound simple because there's all kinds of stuff that needs to be put in place, but on principle, that kind of solves, that assuages some of those fears. Um, to the point about uh, privacy though, you know, as you'll know, right? Like there's a lot of people who decide to be in the public eye, but pseudonymously, right? I mean, yeah. a burial as an example, or, a, you know, or any number of people on crypto Twitter, right? Um, and there's also nothing to say that, let's say, the assets or the identity that is spawned from that person, right? The, the person that they choose to be in the public eye, right? You might choose to have three heads and be purple and whatever. If that is unique enough to you that it is distinguishable, then you could also take this approach, right? So there's, so there's nothing to say, I would say, um, that... You know, we're not necessarily advocating that everybody docks themselves or everybody exists in the way that, let's say, Holly has done. Um, but I think the principle is still useful um, uh, uh, in that sense, right? Um, and, and the closest analog that you could see, for example, is looking at someone like a Michaela, right? Like Michaela's and uh, Lil Michaela's an avatar. You could see the same principles apply there, where people are encouraged to make work as Michaela or with Michaela. Um, 
but there being some some way of formally verifying that you know the the most heinous uh, sections of society don't don't get to lar- uh, pretend that they that that, that that it's an official usage. Um, so yeah, so and, uh, it, but it is very strange. It is all very strange. I mean, we have an instrument now where I can sing as Holly in real time. It's <laughs> it's strange. <That's> it. <laughs> My only uh, counter to that and, and question for you is, do you believe that governance systems will be nimble enough to effectively kind of manage this? Should it continue to uh, receive more and more adoption and use? It's a great question and we'll see. Yeah. Um, I, think that, I think that fundamentally, you know, if you have the fallback, right? Like if right now people are prepared to wait, you know, 10 minutes for a transaction to go through or something, uh, the 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 analog here would be assume something is fake until it's verified, <laughs> um, right? And so I think I think that, but I think there's all kind of other things that likely will come in future, right? Like the idea being that um, you know it, your wallet or your cryptographic identity could uh, could be broadcast from um, as being like a clear way to uh, a clear way to to understand that this is a verified person. Um, but but you're not wrong to raise that. I mean, I think a lot of that needs to be figured out. Our approach really is just saying that uh, it's coming. It's not, you know, it's not kind of like a far-flung science fiction scenario. The, these tools are very, very good. And this is the stuff we're seeing, uh, you know, uh, on, on a research level. This stuff is very, very good. And no effort really has been made to resolve what this means for for the artists or 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 for the public, um, and so that's that's where the research gets really interesting. Yeah, I have to say it's endlessly fascinating. Uh, had a conversation with a wonderful artist yesterday, Federico Somai, uh, going back to that moment when he first got Grand Theft Auto uh, and the immersion into that character. So I I believe that it does become kind of a MMORPG mm-hmm. around somebody's physical identity. Um, which I find fascinating. And then, you know, the second point is at the museum, we're also working to build a virtual curator. Uh, so that's, yeah. Yeah, okay. so that somebody can come in and talk to the painting as if they were talking to the artists themselves and how to weight voice and how to weight input uh, around that All right. and what it kind of uh, takes from the artists or how it gives to the artist is just a, a monster question. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, only to, the, the logic is done. I've seen it work. It creates like tremendous reviews of work. It tells wonderful, fabulous history. It makes <laughs> all sorts of like brilliant comparisons based on this like initial data set that we've uh, compiled. So that That's is- good to hear. Yeah, it's, it's just uh, a lot of fun and, and we have some brilliant people working on it. And that comes down to the point of it, right? Is this like, again, like crypto, like the next, the next, I mean, I was tweeting about this, like new culture war just dropped, right? Like Dali came out yeah. and it's like, that'll be the next big one because it's got all the hallmarks. And again, you know, there are the you know existential risks, kind of like singularity maxis in AI mm. that I find sometimes very entertaining, sometimes very smart, um, but sometimes also kind of hyperbolic. That depends on who you're talking about. And then you have the, you know, let's burn it all, uh, kind of like Malthusian, <laughs> the Malthusian impulse kicks in again, where it's like, no, all of a sudden, you know, like the, um, and, and what you're doing, I think is exactly the right approach, right? It's like, no, like come to your own conclusions, tinker, build it. Yeah. I have no doubt, like uh, th- this, this, uh, this curator rec- recommendation system that you're mentioning, like no one's going to confuse it um, 
uh, uh, for someone who's dedicated 20 years of their life to that field, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have utility. Um, and, and that also doesn't mean it, that doesn't mean it's not going to be like really useful and really consequential. Um, and, and that's kind of our position with AI music or art or something like this is it's like on either side of the spectrum, I can be kind of alienated by conclusions. These are the ones that tend to get the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest amount of attention. Um, but, you know, AI doesn't need to be sentient to have a massive impact on the economy, uh, you know, yeah. uh, and actually somewhere in that middle is you get closer to the truth. And it's also just fun because, you know, there's so much you can do. There's actually so much more you can do um, uh, uh, with these tools. And, and, and invariably, five, ten years, they, they will be standard. I have no doubt. Well, I, I hate to do it. I think we could probably talk endlessly, uh, but we have, to, <laughs> <laughs> we have to close it here. So uh, I'd love for you any closing words. And please let people know where to find you and connect if that's something you wish. Well, uh, really happy to meet you. Happy to learn of the work you're doing and the AI, <laughs> AI curator. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Matt Dryhurst, M-A-T-D-R-Y-H-U-R-S-T. Uh, you can listen to Interdependence at interdependence.fm. Uh, and that's about it. But it's been, it's been really fun. I'm glad, glad to meet your acquaintance. Yeah, <laughs> likewise. Um, super pleasure. I'll sign off here. Colborne Bell with the Museum of Crypto Art. We were here with uh, Matt Dryhurst. Dryhurst. Thank you for the incredible conversation and uh, Deminti for putting this all together. Cheers.